What's up? Good morning. Are you excited to be here? All right, this side of the room's got it. Here we go. This is our chance right here. Are we excited to be here? We got you. Well, if you're joining us in person or online, actually, online community, can you just drop the name Jesus in the chat? We're talking about Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. This has been an amazing series, but before we jump straight into like the meat of theological discussion that we're all so gassed about right now, can we just have some like ground rules? Is that okay? So I'm from the South. Anybody here from the South? I'm from Arkansas, Texas, here. Towns, let's go. From like, so us Southern people know what a holler back church is. Let me explain what a holler back church is. It's when you hear something that convicts you, corrects you, or empowers you, you do two things. Number one, youth, what do we do? With the, fa- the stank face, we go like this, you're like, ooh. So practice that to your neighbor right now, be like, ooh. Then you can tell them to put on deodorant. No, I'm kidding. And then the second thing is put your hand up like this. You say, boy, preach. So you can do that. That's how we know that we love each other because we're not the church of the chosen frozen, right? Okay. So if you're just now joining us for the first time, I'm wrapping up a series called Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life. And I want to recap the, the three weeks because I think it's important that we realize that the discussion of Jesus is more than four weeks. The discussion of Jesus, well, we will be discovering him until we meet him face to face in heaven. But if you've missed the other weeks or just one of the weeks, go back and watch it. Week one, um, Julie Yoder, one of our senior pastors, she brought up this idea that, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And if we do not see him through that lens, we will have a problem when someone asks us, who is Jesus? Week two, uh, one of our founding pastors, Diet Layman, she talked about Jesus the way. And that he is the only way that all are welcome that he excludes your bad and your good, so it's not contingent on what you did, but he includes you because it's contingent on what he did. And then week, oh, we're going to have a good service in a second. Week three, Leah, the homegirl, our executive pastor, she talked about Jesus being the truth. She talked about how Jesus has dispelled the lies of the enemy, that there were three things the enemy comes at us with and how to combat those, and that's an important week as well. So if you missed them, I would encourage you to go watch them. So our our scripture is John 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So by chronological order and because I was told this, I'm preaching on Jesus the life. And for me, this statement, Jesus is the life or Jesus the life, feels abstract. I can get behind Jesus the way. I can get behind Jesus the truth, but to encapsulate the, entire, uh, the entirety of life into saying Jesus is the life, now that's tough. Because what happens when I don't experience what I just said? I have to wrap my mind around this, and a question that came up while I was writing this message was this, what is the good life? Subconsciously or consciously, I, I think we've actually asked ourselves this question, I know I have. What is the good life? Is there a life God intended that he called the good life? What is the good life? Was God's goal to make all of us just miserable, or is there a good life? 
This is a question that I think if we don't answer this well, we will always find ourselves having a void that we try to fill. This question is critical. Now, growing up, my mom's watching online. What's up, mom? I was the know-it-all kid. You know what I mean? Like, I knew everything. <laughs> I'm the younger sibling, so we're the most loved. Um, but I thought growing up that I knew what the good life was. So growing up, I had two loving parents, Dean and Tamara, and we went from a single wide trailer to a double wide trailer. And so in my mind, I'm living the best life. And so this inspires the thought process, what is the good life? And as a 10-year-old kid, are you ready for this profound answer? It was having every Star Wars lightsaber known to man, including, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know this, including the purple Mace Windu. That was the best. Someone just said, period, like, that's a fact, you know what I mean? Or it was, for me, it was having a Game Boy Color because I didn't want the black and white one. I wanted the color one because it's so much cooler. And then I was like, oh, maybe I could have snacks that could fill my stomach, and I would know what not hunger, not being hungry means. And then at 14 years old, my father was murdered in front of me, and now death shifted my perspective of the good life. What I once thought was good was subpar, less than. And so this death shifted the course of my life, and no longer did lightsabers and Game Boy Colors and snacks fill this need. The need would have been filled if my dad was back. As I got older in high school, I started getting good at the game football. And I thought, man, I am going to be a professional football player. And here's why. I'm going to have a ton of money, crazy influence, and everyone will love me. And then because, you know, bumps, bruises, I get injured, I just stop playing, I don't do that. I'm like, you know what, I've got a backup plan. It's good to have a backup plan. My backup plan was to be, <laughs> to be a heart surgeon and still make a ton of money. <laughs> and save lives. Hey, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And what I started to notice as I was getting older was my, I, what I identified as the good life began to change. It began to change with disappointment, success meeting new people, family, friends. My good life was always shifting. Every season I was in, the good life was something else. As I got closer to graduating high school, I thought it'd be fun to be a baby daddy to some. I'm kidding. I thought it was, it'd, be, it'd be fun to marry someone super fine, like out of my league, so that way as I got older, I looked cooler. See, know it all. So met my wife, gorgeous. We get married. We have three amazing kids because that was my next thing. I was like, kids would be amazing to have family. And as I started getting older, I started noticing that this good life that I thought was when I was 10 and 14 and 16 and now married, why does it consistently change? Will I ever be satisfied? Will anything ever be enough? Will the good life, does it exist? And so today I'm going to talk to you about Jesus, the life and I want you to, to ask yourself the question, is Jesus enough? Because as we get into this discussion today, I'm going to be real, this is theology. This isn't me going up here and be like, and the fire of God's coming. Like, we're talking about theology because it's going to shape our belief system. It's going to shape how we live life. It is important. Theology isn't for just people who have masters in it. It's for the believers. Okay? So we're going to pray and we're going to talk about this saying, Jesus the life. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you so much. You're amazing. God, I thank you that the 915 primed the 11. 
We love you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're friends now. Whoever just said amen, we're friends. Like, that is how you respond to prayer. That is fire. Okay, so in order for us to get, to get a, a clear understanding of Jesus, the life, I would like to take us, like, way back. Like, way up I, to the back, okay? So we're going to the back. Everyone knew that song reference? It clicked with you. We're going to the back. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, page 1 of your Bible. This is where we're going. And this story in Genesis 1 is something that I think sometimes does, isn't talked about enough. And if you don't believe in creation, it's really hard to believe in Jesus. I'm just going to come out and say it. It's very difficult. Because what we're going to see today, what Jesus, the garden and then Jesus, how they coincide together, makes both of them true. So in Genesis chapter 1, the world was created. And I'm going to kind of recap for you. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it. So the first day, light was created. The second day, the sky was created. The third day, dry land, seas, plants, and trees were created. The fourth day, the sun, moon, and stars were created. The fifth day, creatures that live in the sea, creatures that fly were created. On the sixth day, animals that live on the land, and finally humans made in the image of God were created, the ones that he commissioned to rule and reign. On the seventh day, God rested. From days one through five, everything God created, he called good. He said this was good, except on day six. On day six, after he created man and woman, he says this is very good. When man and woman are ruling and reigning together, it is very good. Okay? And so this place was called the Garden of Eden. This was the place where God and man dwelt together. This was heaven and earth not separated but joined in unison functioning and creating the world. The good life, the life God intended was eternal life. Life that we got to live with him in perfect unison. Nothing separated us. In the garden, even work was worship. Genesis 2 verse 15. God commissions Adam and Eve to toil and to work the ground. That was worship. There is no sacred and there is no holy when it comes to Jesus. If you're in a job, it is now holy. Like, there is not a difference. Adam and Eve understood this. They understood that, like, what I do is worship no matter what. Okay, so this is what it looks like. There were gardeners. Who's a gardener in here? I can promise you right now I will kill a plant before you could grow one. <laughs> I can prove to you I'm the worst gardener <laughs> ever. <laughs> like, they were gardeners. They were working the ground. There's something interesting about that our job was not to prove anything, but it was to steward. Like, that's a difference. There was no sense of lack. There was no sense of letdown. So this is kind of how it looked. Man and woman had dominion. They had peace. They had more than enough. They named the animals. They were in family with the Lord. They could walk around naked with no shame in their game. Because I'm telling you right now, dad bod hit me so fast, I realized I had three kids after. Like, it was like... Like they say about like, like women eating while they're pregnant, men, we join in just to join. Like, <laughs> we don't want you to feel left out. We're ruling and reigning together. <laughs> this is a beautiful picture of identity as sons and daughters and destiny lived out because it was contingent on the relationship with the father. 
The relationship that they had with the Lord in the garden birthed their identity and they could walk in their destiny effortlessly. This was Zoe life, this was eternal. In Genesis chapter two, verse 16 through 17, something plays out. Adam and Eve functioned best in the garden by obedience. I want you to hear me. They function best by obedience until Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. This is what it says. <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. A few verses later, Adam and Eve take this. They were tempted by Satan, and they take this fruit and they eat it, and now disobedience produced death. See, it's no longer the good life versus the bad life. It's the good life or death. There's no, like, bad life option anymore. So as Leah talked last week, they believed a lie that shifted their view of themselves, their view of God in the garden. They believe the lie. They take a bite, and then all of a sudden, death enters in. Now, they didn't physically just, like, drop dead, but spiritually they died, which breeded a physical death after that. Death produces death, okay? So here's what happens. After this removal of the garden, humanity from Genesis chapter four until Jesus goes on this quest of finding the good life. They go on this quest to find out, can we recreate or reproduce what we had in the garden? And then in Genesis chapter 11, we see that humanity starts to build this tower, the Tower of Babel, and there's a lot of things that we could go different directions, like one unison, that's why praying in tongues is great, because Holy Spirit is now enabling us to build a city within a city. We can go to all these things. But what happens in Genesis chapter 11, verse four, this is, this is what the people say that are building this tower. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Humanity was longing for heaven and earth to be in unity again. So they built this tower from earth to touch heaven. But the problem is, is earthly things don't fulfill heavenly desires. So what happens is, is when we, <laughs> so when we, when we build our life and things as a tower to touch heaven, the problem is, is we've got it backwards. So the Lord disperses them, not because he, I don't believe it's because he hated them. I believe it's because they were children of man trying to function as the children of the Lord. So the good life, the life God intended was now man-defined instead of God-defined. Maybe you're asking yourself today, have I built my life around the wrong life source? Have I maybe gotten 90% towards Jesus, but 10%, eh, it's, it's divided. You know, I've seen this played out in my own life, if, I'm, if we can just be honest, okay? So I got married at 21 years old. And people have opinions about it, not... All I know is we're still going and my wife is still gorgeous and I love her, so it's working. But when I got married, thoughts came in my head that I never had before and this is kind of what it looked like. If I could give my wife and family the good life, I would now become the provider of everything. 
At 21, I felt like I had to have everything together. I had to be emotionally stable, which played out to be AKA emotionally unavailable. And then I, I thought, oh, well, maybe I can just make peace. Well, I was trying to make peace because I actually didn't have any. Everything that my family needed, I had now placed on my shoulders, not anything my wife did. It's because I started believing a lie like Adam and Eve did. That said, Samuel, you're not good enough. You will never be enough. You are less than everyone else around you. So I started believing this lie, and then I started to think, man, my thought pattern changed based on what I thought I had to be, not who he said I was. So, the pursuit of this good life, I do not believe, started with bad intentions. I actually do not blame anyone in the Bible for trying to find, or you or me, this good life, because we know there's a void within us, and we're trying to fill it. There's a void within us that we're trying to fill, but unfortunately, nothing on earth could do that. So here's a couple things that might sound like the good life, okay? Sure, having enough money to where bills are not a bother, that's good. Peace is a priority in the home, that's good. Or having a family to share life with, that's great. Or even having a promotion that positionally gives us influence, those are all good things. But the problem, once again, is that we're taking aspects of the life God intended for us and making them man-defined. Anything that you obtain on your own, you now must sustain on your own. Anything that you personally obtain without Jesus, you now have to maintain. Like, so when I find myself in a sin cycle and I'm like, well, I just won't do that, I just won't do that, instead of going to Jesus, there's a reason why I get caught in a cycle. It's because I have to now maintain something that I obtained on my own. So the hunger that we have deep within us will not be satisfied by earthly things. It will not be satisfied by earthly mock-ups of heavenly realities that we once had. We need someone to restore the good life, the life God intended. The life that where we would know our identities fully, that relationship with the Father is restored and that would breed my identity and now I would be able to function properly in my destiny. So guess what? In steps Jesus. In steps King Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he now is now a walking in a, a beautiful picture that heaven is no longer separated. Heaven and earth are no longer separated, but joined together as one reality. You see, we tried to go from earth to heaven, so he sent heaven to earth. You know that song that we sing? You ain't from heaven to earth. It's actually more powerful than just a lyric. It's actually the gospel. So Jesus lived a perfect life. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the leper. He cast out demons. He was revealing that the good life, the life God intended, was possible again. He was eventually placed on a cross because we could not understand heaven's agenda. And so we crucified him, buried him in a garden. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. And in John 20, verse 15, Mary mistakes him as a gardener. See, when we were living in the life God intended, we were gardeners. And all of a sudden, death 
took its place. So being the loving father that Jesus is, he actually went to death and came back as a gardener. This was the first time that I believe that the life God intended was accessible for man again. Do you see that thread? That now your work can now be worship again. That as gardeners, what we do with our lives matter. We're worshiping Jesus no matter where we're at. Jesus paid the price for our sins so he could give us eternal life. But eternal life is not just a heavenly destination. It's actually the earthly way of living. This is not a theory. This is not a thought pattern. This is a lifestyle. And Jesus actually gave us a few keys on how to do this. I'm going to bring two out today. So if disobedience caused death and removed us, that means obedience must keep us there. Jesus said, I only do and say what I see my father doing. Obedience has to be a priority when God speaks. We can't be like, eh. Like, there's some stories where people, like, I'll, I've even shared them, I'm like, and then I was like, Lord, I, I don't know, should I? The Lord told me to take that on my vocabulary. That when he asked me to do something, just say yes. Because I've never let you down. So now when I see someone who needs prayer, I just go, sure. And I just go, not because I'm awesome, just because I'm like, man, I want to model what Jesus did. The first one is obedience. Obedience is huge. Obedience is huge. Number two is this, the word, the Bible. In John, it says that he became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, referring to Jesus. So the word is a non-negotiable to living out the life God intended. I'm okay with you not understanding certain parts, but when you say, like, is this even real? That's where I'm like, ooh, that's tough. And I'm just going to side note just real quick. I'm about to get into my, like, old Pentecostal roots, Southern Baptist roots a little bit. I love a physical, tangible Bible. I'm okay with digital. Why I love a physical, tangible Bible, because for me, it's a touch point when I don't feel him. When I feel like chaos is surrounding me, I just go to my Bible. I don't even read it. I literally will just do this and lay down. There is something about that this has stood the test of time. And this is not a, a read that you get to check off and be like, I read Psalm 91 in the Passion. Oh, my gosh. The Passion should ins inspire you. I read from ESV, but, like, when you're reading the Bible, it is not just, like, this moment where you're going to be like, oh, I spent time with Jesus. It is the manuscript of the eternal life lived out well in Jesus. It is not just this thing that we, like, get to hold and be like, oh, this is awesome. No, it is the manuscript of heaven's agenda for you. I will prove it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22. Jesus was asked, how many times should we forgive someone? And he goes, forgive 70 times 7, which means forgiveness has to be a priority. It is what your faith is contingent on. Are you forgiven or aren't you? Forgiveness, we have to be known for this. Number two, Matthew 5 says, turn the other cheek. And when someone hits you, turn the other one. When they offend you, you don't have to bite back. You can actually just go, no. 
Matthew 7, verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not publicly, do it privately. Gossip has to die in the church. Like, if you don't, I have a rule for my leaders, my rev leaders, we know this. I tell people, if you don't know the kid's name in the back, don't bring them up to me. Until their name is known, don't talk about them. We have to be people who are not gossiping that we would do unto others as they, we would have them do unto me. John 4, 24, we must worship God. God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, we're connecting with him. In truth, nothing hidden. These are four verses that we talked about in 60 seconds that are critical to change your life. How you live out eternal life. These are touch points. This is why this comes with me everywhere. It is my touch point. The importance of reading our Bible is not to say I read it, but is to enrich the life you live and to enrich those around you. This is what's really interesting. Instead of God placing us back in the garden, he placed the garden inside of you. So now you are where heaven and earth touch. You are now where heaven and earth are in unity, where you function together properly. This is why we have won the war, but we're fighting battles because we're restoring that's what was lost. Like, this is what God has placed in us. See, who said theology wasn't fun? What I love about Jesus is, like, it wasn't just enough for him to, like, fix what we messed up. He wanted to give us a life worth living. He wanted to give us an abundant life. John 10.10 says this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life is not and will never be you being perfect. It is going through life with Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that they walked in the cool of the day with the Spirit of the Lord. We get to do that now. That's why Holy Spirit, for me, that's a non-negotiable. I can walk with Jesus. I can walk with the Father, but I get to walk in the cool of the day with Holy Spirit now as well. You see, we may not be naming the animals, but now we get to heal the sick. Now we get to raise the dead. Now we get to cleanse the leper. Now we get to cast out demons. And these are amazing spiritual things. I have tried raising the dead. I am 0 for 5 right now. I'm, I'm serious. If Jesus did it, then I'm going to be able to do it. My problem is, is when we get stuck on, how do I say this lightly? Okay, forgive me. <laughs> when I get stuck on wanting to pray for healing, but my workplace is suffering because I'm in it. And it's not getting better because I am. My problem is, is, is that when Jesus restored life, he wanted me to share it, not hoard it. So if I'm on a sports team or I am in a workplace, it should get better because I'm placed in it because I brought the garden with me. Right? The culture of your home should change because you said yes to Jesus, not get worse. Your marriage that's struggling and being torn apart right now, which is probably some people in this room, you should find that when Jesus is in the center, he pulls both sides together. Like Jesus, King Jesus does more in a moment than we could do in a lifetime. But he chose to partner with us. The good life, the life God intended has become something we can live out because Jesus is the life. So I hope you had fun with this theological talk. The importance of seeing who Jesus is is so I can know who I am. 
if I'm questioning Jesus, I'm typically questioning myself. Because as he is in this world, so are we. Jesus is the life. There's a thread in John chapter 14, verse 16, I just want to turn your eyes to, and we're going to get into worship after this, but it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way. There is no other option. He welcomes all so that all may come to the Father. Jesus is the truth. He has destroyed every lie that the enemy could throw at you and restored your identity and handed it back to you and you did not do anything for it, which means you will not do anything to maintain it, only he will. And that, that he restored the good life, the life God intended. You see, we, we capitalized on those three things for this message, but the last part says that no one may come to the Father except through him. His whole job was to pave a way back to the heart of the Father, to give us the identity to walk that way so we could live in the life that he originally designed for us. Jesus, my Jesus, your Jesus, King Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's complex, yet it's simple. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus your everything? Would you guys stand with me? We're gonna do kind of a funky transition this morning. I'm going to uh, ask you to do a couple things and then while you're doing that, the worship team's gonna come in with worship because I want you to realize that like your affection to Jesus is worship. Your attention when his presence enters the room is worship, your partnership is worship. So I'm not gonna do a fancy prayer then go down you're gonna find yourself in worship. So we're gonna take 30 seconds. We do this in Rev. Listen, if my sixth graders are doing this the whole time can give Jesus a minute, so can we. Because he gave us a lifetime. So I want us to put our hands out. And here's how I want us to start identifying when we feel Jesus. It's practicing the presence. When you feel Jesus on you, around you, encapsulating you, respond. Don't just stare at me and do this, because this is our starting point. If you want to get on your face, get on your face. This whole area, youth, you know, this whole area is open for worship. Respond. So what we're going to do for 30 seconds is just tell Jesus how good he is. Internally. We're not going to say it externally yet. That's the next part. I'm building your faith. So right now, just begin to tell him who he is to you. What you need him to become. If you need a way, tell him, Jesus, you're the way. If you need truth in a clouded darkness, in a hopeless situation, say, Jesus, you're my truth. If you need a life that is worth living, say, Jesus, you're the life. Spirit of Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Yeah. And now for 30 seconds, I want your eyes to be closed, and I want you out loud. I don't want like a... Uh, like a whisper, like we're ashamed of who he is, a proud, Jesus, you're faithful. I want you out loud right now to go, what you were doing internally, I want it to become an out loud and an outward expression. So Jesus, you are faithful. Jesus, you are king. Jesus, you are my life. 
Jesus, you are worthy. Jesus, you are the way. Jesus, you gave me the abundant life. Jesus, you're kind. Jesus, you're holy. Jesus, you're amazing. Keep going. 